everyone, welcome to episode 41. Today I speak to Katie Forsyth, who is the co-founder and director of Red Recruitment, who have been recruiting in contact centres for the last uh, circa 20 years, 20 years plus. Really enjoyed this conversation, it was great. Never really had the chance before to speak to Katie, and it just felt like speaking to a mate, actually. So she has some really interesting insight and views and talks about the research that they conducted by speaking to over 50 senior leaders in the contact centre world. So really interesting. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Katie Forsyth, co-founder and director of Red Recruitment. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Pleasure. You were just saying then you've done some work for radio before. Oh, hang on. That's overselling it. I did some news reviews many years ago. So I'm out of practice, I promise. Oh, you're (laughs) a pro though. No, definitely not. And not trained. But I'll do my best for you, Martin. Thank you very much. (laughs) We were just chatting before hitting the call around. Um, Well, you actually asked me how I kind of got in the industry. So I'll throw that one back at you. How did you get into this industry? Oh, gosh, this makes me feel very old. Um, Much like you, graduated and thought, what on earth am I going to do? Graduated, yeah, absolutely. And and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go into HR. I like working with people. And uh, went on the milk round and went on lots of interviews and ended up getting a job, what I thought was in HR, but ended up in recruitment. (laughs) Told my parents I was going to work in HR. And then uh, promptly ended up selling in a recruitment environment and absolutely loved it. Worked for one of the big internationals in recruitment as a a wide-eyed and bushy-tailed graduate and uh, worked for them for five years and then uh, decided that actually what we were doing, I felt we could do, I could do better going solo. So uh, with a couple of colleagues did that and uh, that was 20 years ago next year. So uh, yeah, I feel very old telling that story. More power to you, though. Most I kind of over the years thought, oh, should we? Should I kind of do this myself? But to do it after five years, I know. I often think that because we work with a demographic in uh, you know contact centre recruitment and millennials and Gen Zs, and when I'm training on those demographics, I often talk about them as as young kids in a rather patronising way. And I think, gosh, you know, I was sub 25 when I set red up I must have been a nightmare of a of a gen x at the time and I talk about narcissism in our demographics and I think what must people have thought of me setting my business up then but uh, there's lots of brilliant stories of young entrepreneurs aren't there I was just lucky that I had a fair wind and good colleagues what was well a fair wind and good colleagues I know no one likes blowing their own trumpet but what were the what were the things that you thought you could do differently or what was it that has led to, because that's, that is a story of success, isn't it? That's kind of, you started wow. 20, 20 years, you're still, you're still doing it. Um, yeah, I think for me, recruitment, I, I love recruitment, but it's not someone you want to tell. It's not something you want to tell people at a dinner party you do. It's a bit like saying you're an estate agent and people who avoid sitting next to you. Um, that, uh, because it's got such a reputation for, for, uh, not being an industry with great amount of integrity and I remember uh, I, and I've got a, a huge amount of respect for the for the business I started with I started with Hayes PLC and their training was phenomenal and their their 
they what they did they did really well um and we set up Hayes contact center and I was one of the the first consultants to set that up with the MD at the time and I just remember I was their national sales manager and I went home and I said to my mum I love doing what I want uh, what I do but I really want to do it with real integrity and um set red up so that we didn't sell what we couldn't deliver basically we only sold what we could deliver and I, I opened a, um, I was talking at an event some years later, five or six years later after starting Red, and um, a very well-known speaker in the contact centre circuit introduced me. And he said, uh, I'd like to introduce Katie, who's a recruiter that I know and I work with, and I work with her because she's got integrity. And at that moment, I thought, this has all been worth it. So, um, and not taking anything away from any recruiters, it's a brilliant industry, but, you know, we, we haven't got the best reputation for sure. It's, just, it's a shame, though, because it's a little bit like the kind of evangelical approach around contact centres. I think I've spoken before about people said, who did you work for or who, who do you work for? And in the past, I'd meant if I was working in an outsourcers, I'd mentioned the client. Yeah. Or we work for X bank or whatever, rather yeah. than saying I work in a call centre or a contact centre, e- even now. People, yeah. what is it you do? I've started playing football again and people are like, what do you do? And I kind of like brush it off. It's strange, isn't it? It's the same Why Is it because of, of people have you know, a, a very small minority of bad um, like interactions and stuff, but that and I, everyone's hard with the same brush? Or Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, as you say, without sounding evangelical about it, I hate that because the contact yeah. centre industry, and I will start and I talk about this a lot, we should be so proud of this industry because actually, you know, what we do, and, and really, uh, so many things are so terrible about this year in COVID, but one of the great things is how much our industry has been praised for the amazing work it's done on that front line. Mm. And, and we have done some amazing work. But Actually, you know, we should be so proud of this industry. The brands in our industry, having worked in recruitment for 25 years, there are very few industries where it has such an amazing array of brands. And your testament, Martin, that's why I asked on your background. I talk, and my business talks to agents every day coming into this as a new industry. And actually what we'll talk about is the opportunity of this industry, not only to grow into senior leadership, although we would never want to promise that because they'll leave after six months when they're not MD, but also the route into their, their, their career with the big brands. Um, and as you said, you were attracted in because you worked for this stationary company, but it was the head office and there were lots of other things. And you thought, oh, I might go into those, but you've stayed in that customer focus thing. And, and there are very few industries that you can go into and really, really learn the fundamentals of doing a brilliant job with customer and then have so much opportunity ahead of you. Um, and so I, I don't get it either. It should be an industry we're really proud of and a worrying one, really, because the reputation of the industry is something I've worked on for all of those years. And it's cyclical, isn't it? But alongside a, a number of the forums and we do so much work on making it an industry of choice and getting back away from those 1990s you know chicken farms and all the rest of it and then it just takes a couple of bad eggs to say we just need bums on seats or it's just about getting people to to come in and if they fog a mirror they can answer the phone and I think oh please don't yeah. take us back there please yeah. don't take us back there so um yeah it's an industry of choice and it will be we're growing from strength to strength I love that. I love that. Well, it's kind of like the um, just seeing some of the 
awards and things like the how beneficial it is to local communities absolutely to have a contact center business within you know in their town and the good that they do and not just over and above kind of providing people with work and careers and but just how they i've yet to come across a contact center that hasn't recognized it has a responsibility to its local community and the maybe people that are disadvantaged in there so that it can make such a massive difference such a massive difference that this year more so than ever yeah and and some of the you know i've i've uh, judged some awards recently and i've judged awards for many years and this year i found it you know i i phoned the the organizer after one i said i i i mean i'm not a particularly emotional person and it actually made me want to cry just listening this person worked as it happened for local government but some of the calls that they'd helped on and 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 how proud they were to be able to help and i thought that's what we should be doing as contact centers we you know we somehow lost that feeling of we're here to help yeah uh, and we've really got that back this year so um yeah credit to the industry and all the hard work that's gone into it what have you seen then what's your kind of summary of this year maybe specifically recruitment but also just contact centers because you are you do have your finger on the pulse um it's so uh, it's so difficult to answer that because it's so different not only um industries being a huge difference you know we we deal with a, a vast array of industries and I can be talking at one minute to a senior leader who has seen their their everything just just fall and they furloughed everyone or made mass redundancies because because that's the industry they're in, particularly hospitality um, and and tourism. You know, some of the tourism centres dealing with some of their senior leaders has been just just terrible what they've been through. And then the next minute you, you're speaking to someone who's saying, actually. Our transactions have gone through the roof. Our volumes are up. Our people are engaged. They're loving work. And so it's just, um, you, you can't say how the industry has been affected in my, in my world. It's how each individual leader for their business has been affected. Um, I think one thing's for sure, everybody has worked harder than they've ever worked before, regardless of whether the business is thriving or, or really struggling. And everyone's exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> we're in our industry everyone is exhausted and yeah. and uh even this morning I've I've just come off a, a call with someone who's just you know I'm counting down to just a few days off at Christmas because everyone's been flat out and yeah and it's emotionally draining dealing with what the people that we all have to deal with every day um, yeah there's definitely something in that I think we've had to be really clear with our teams around um like zoom fatigue because yeah. oh. even just if you're in a if you're in the contact center physically walking from one meeting to another, you could get a coffee. You can yeah. you might see someone and mention, I don't know, going out or something on the TV or the football score. You would have that mental break, even just yeah. for a couple of minutes. Whereas now we're all booking ourselves in for meetings one after another, after another, after another. Yeah. And as I'm testament to you this morning, joining them 30 seconds before, because they've just, you know, and, and it's relentless, isn't it? And that's a real worry for for the industry, I think. Not and it's worse at the moment. So we we were doing some um research last week on on agents, and it really struck home to me. Not only have we got this um uh video conferencing fatigue and Zoom and Teams fatigue, 
but also we're now in this second lockdown and with the, this this new way of you know the second lockdown working talking to agents who are waking up and it's dark they're moving to the end of their bed and it's dark they're logging on and it's dark and I spoke to a, a, a consultant who's spoken to an agent last week and they said they were just absolutely worn out because they said and their words were I don't even get a chance to get up and walk to the the, the cafeteria or to the 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 cafe, the on-site cafe. So I walk down to my kitchen, grab a sandwich, walk back to my bed. And then when I finish, it's dark and I go back to bed and watch TV. Well, that's no good for anybody, is it? So it's not only those water cooler conversations and the mental health of, oh, I've just had a terrible call. Can I talk to someone? It's also that we're just not doing anything. We're walking from our beds to our end of our beds to take the calls. And then, you know, in the dark, and that's just no good for anybody, is it? Um, so yeah, a frightening time for agents in the second second lockdown. I think as as we go into the winter months. Well, that the the research I think that you so you did it yourself and um, you were posting it regular. It was like was it eight or nine sections? Death by data, eight sections. Yeah, well, forgive me. The, I, I, no, I loved it. But what was the first of all? What was the kind of thinking behind it? You just wanted take a kind of view of where we're at or um yes a bit um so we are we are known for doing a a lot of data for for candidates so we often as contact center recruitment specialists have to think how do we add value aside from just doing what we do which is recruitment so the value we can add is by advising centers what's what's the agent doing? What's the agent thinking? How are they behaving? What's driving them? So, you know, top three drivers when they're looking for a new employer, whatever it may be. And actually we got into lockdown, as you can imagine, it's not been a great time for recruitment. And we thought, well, what can we do that adds value at the moment? And and we talked briefly earlier, didn't we, about imposter syndrome? Well, I probably spent the first two months of lockdown uh, having been in contact centre recruitment for 25 years. A lot of my close friends lead centers and and they'll be phoning me and they're you know they've got real imposter syndrome and they're just saying what are other centers doing how are they feeling about this what what are they what's happened to their you know attrition or absence or agent behaviors and has anyone else got this problem with people working from ironing boards and I thought that's how we can add value we can add value by the benefit that we've got of talking to so many people in the industry, let's get them together. Let's do a piece of research and ask all the questions that everyone asks me every day. So I organized 54 one-to-one interviews with 54 senior leaders from around the UK and did an hour's interview with them on everything from, you know, are you sending kit to your agents to what are you seeing in terms of behavior and what's your biggest threat to productivity and next year? And, and there, there came the data. So it's out of date now, I'm sure. I did a conversation last week with a number of them and everything changes every two minutes according to what Boris says, doesn't it? But, you know, it's certainly a really good snapshot of October and and how we all felt then. I I like the fact that you mentioned it just then around thinking about um, agents and their life because often we naturally we're interested in thought leaders and senior leaders and where they might take take the business and I don't know if this is because I still sometimes think of myself as as an agent but um to forget that view and the view of our people will mean that we are always fighting this battle to try and change the perception of of contact centers unless people genuinely are focused on 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 the agent because those that 
just walking through that day, as you've mentioned, potentially for an agent of being in the dark on their bed, I'm lucky I'm in a nice office here. Yeah. You know, I can get up and walk around and that kind of thing. Do you, do you get, do you think, or did the research show people looking to take on roles? And if they are offered more than one, how companies set them up to, to you know, rectify that, um, their current working from home challenges? Is that an important consideration? Are people doing? Are people thinking about how to address that? How to address what? Sorry, getting kit and, and so on to home. How how to get them yeah, operating? Not from just home. getting kit, but if I are there different work um, workforce management considerations or recognizing that someone, like you say, could start in the dark, log in, right, work all day on their bed, have yeah. a break, right go to the kitchen, come back. So this comes this comes down to what do we expect from our agents in the new world of working from home compared to p- before and productivity. And it was really interesting because in those first four or five months of, of COVID, what we said as senior leaders is, go home, do your best, just do your best and you're amazing. We all had this British mentality, didn't we? Even the, the yeah. agents were amazing. Some of our, the agents were, you know, what they did as senior leaders, we all came home, as you say, to our lovely offices with our back gardens, went out for nice walks in the country when we had a spare <laughs> 10 minutes. These agents are going back to shared flats or to yeah. houses with their mum and dad. And they're yeah. going, just give me a box. I'll work from a box. And they are plugging in. And some of the stories from and I, agent of the year this year was a phenomenal category. Some of the stories of what they put themselves through to get productive was amazing. Great. That took us up till about July, probably June, July. And then suddenly as senior leaders, we went, hang on, we need these guys to be more productive. <laughs> and so we started putting the thumb screws on, didn't we? And everyone started going, well, what are we doing about getting their behaviours more on point? And how do we make them more productive? And that became a problem because then what we have is actually when you ask and the research, though, when we ask the senior leaders, what stops your agents from being productive? They're saying, it's the fact they haven't got enough real-time support. It's the fact our knowledge banks aren't good enough. It's the fact that our um, technology is letting them down or they haven't got the right space. When we go out and say to the agents, what's stopping you being productive? They're saying, it's my Wi-Fi. I'm really slow. Or it's the fact that my voice going through um, VoIP is, is, is not great and it's taking me longer. Or simply the fact this customer needs to talk to me for longer and I'm not prepared to cut them off quickly. Yeah. So there's this big mis- a, a disconnect between what senior leaders were thinking is stopping their agents being productive. But actually, if you ask the agents, send me a dongle, get my Wi-Fi working quicker and I'll be more productive for you. It's as basic right. as that. Um, so and I think that we're going on a journey of that now. So now, you know, productivity is the number one thing we're being asked about all the time. What are other centres doing to make productivity better? What's AHT doing? You know, I feel like we're going back to the 90s talking about blinking AHT. How has that come <laughs> yeah. about this year? Goodness me. Um, Very true. How else? And all, honestly, it's so, you know, it makes me roll my eyes even saying it. But, you know, that is what people are asking because now yeah. we just need to make them more productive. But I'm... Sorry to say, I think actually what we'll do is say there's light at the end of the tunnel. Let's get them all back in the offices and we'll get the productivity high. And I really hope that doesn't work. Uh, that doesn't happen. I really hope we, we're slightly more modern and flexible than that. Do you think it will, because I guess that was my next question really around, you think that 
will be what we do, like a hybrid. Some will come back, some will some will stay at home if it suits them, and we'll we'll have that level of individual flexibility. Yeah, I've been done so many conference calls about this, and I wish I had a crystal ball. I could make a fortune, I tell you. Um, my heart says I hope we'll turn into a wonderfully technically technologically driven, blended, forward-thinking industry. My head tells me that there'll be continued productivity issues because we're heading into the winter. Agents will become a little bit more disengaged. We'll have, we've got predicted high recruitment next year because everyone's working from, you know, with no fat and we'll see high attritions and everyone will think the way to get hold of that is to put them back in the offices. Don't forget, I'm not totally, I'm not against going into the offices by any stretch. I think it's really important. Um, Neither am I against 100% homework, but I, I think uh, I will always come at this from what an agent thinks, because yeah. that's how we make recruitment great. Mm. We do it in a way that we make it easy and we make it easy by giving agents great talent jobs that they want. And what agents are telling us is that we ideally want to be weighted into an office mm. for the reasons you and I were talking about earlier, Martin. These are young entrants into yeah. industry. Certainly the Gen Zers, the Gen Zers want to be in the office. They'll go in the office full time. We find it much easier even today recruiting for full time office based roles than we do home working. Really? Millennials and the, the, the mini millennials, as I'll call them, the younger millennials. Some of them are touching on having responsibilities or their own space or perhaps living in flats with partners. They'll be more flexible. Mm. But the Gen Zers who are just coming into coming into work. And it's, yeah, it's that whole social element, isn't it? That's the thing. Absolutely, absolutely. It's how they it's how they build their own brand. They want to they want to be around people. They want to have the social life that you talked about when you first went into your career. We won't tell any stories now, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, they they they're Gen Zers. They want to be patted on the back physically by a team leader to say, "I heard that call. That was amazing. Well done, you. You're amazing." And they don't get that at home. We'll lose them to other industries if we keep Gen Zers just sat at home. I mean, yeah. I'm whitewash, but no, I'm like I'm like you. Though. I'd love. I I think it'd be it'd just be amazing when that happens. But we can also still keep what we've learned and the flexibility from, like you say, the people that it suits them being at home and they they're loving it. Then let's let them stay at home. Great. Absolutely. Oh, to be a workforce planner at this time, hey? Yeah, if you could let everyone do where, where, where they want, whenever they want, that'd be lovely. Then we'll have ultimate retention in our industry. Just make that happen, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I won't tell the planners that. But what, no, from, that's... Your, from your research, was there anything that you was that really surprised you? Um, was there anything? I... No, not not hugely. But then I work with a variety of centres every single day. I think what it what it absolutely showed for us was there is such a variety in journeys during COVID, depending on industry and depending on on um, call type. Um, I guess I was having worked as you have for such a long time. I I was very impressed not necessarily surprised but how quickly we changed and just the amount of change that we put in particularly and I've worked on, on site and delivered to many big financial services particularly the financial services I think they surprised themselves how agile they could be let alone me you know 
dropping so much of that red tape just overnight just to get the job done. So I think I was impressed rather than surprised. I guess I was surprised at quite how agile some of those more traditional sectors became. Um, And I was taken aback a little by just how how much people recognise they'd worked really hard. So one of the questions we asked is, have you worked more or less hours this year? And a resounding, everyone but one person. So 53 of the 54 said, I've worked substantially more hours this year. And then we followed that up by saying, you know, we asked them whether they'd enjoyed the year and what their biggest achievements were. And I think, you know, I was pretty taken aback by, even though this has been really, really hard work, everyone's come out of this or by and large come out of this, falling even greater in love with their industry and just how important the jobs they do are. Um, so, no, I wasn't massively surprised. I was prouder of the of the industry we all work in, for sure, but not greatly surprised. And have, have you worked more or less hours then this year? Oh, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because recruitment's not exactly booming, as you can imagine. So in terms of operationally, in terms of um, delivery, we've been quieter. But I was talking to, to one of our teams last week and we, we all feel that we've worked much harder because actually recruitment's become harder. Mm. Recruitment now, you know, is much harder because even people talk about there being lots of candidates. That's nonsense, by the way. <laughs> don't, don't get me started on that. Um, but there are more candidates applying, but that doesn't mean they're great for the job. So there's a much yeah. bigger job of pre-screening and pre-selection. So our teams have had to work a lot harder for lesser results, if that makes sense, lesser numbers. Um, but it's been an interesting year, she says in a positive way. Um, well, the same thing to you then. What would be your biggest achievement this year? Oh, I hate answering questions like that. <laughs> uh, uh, genuinely, from my heart, just working with my team being so proud of the team digging in in such a in it's exactly the same as what all you guys said to me is about how proud of your teams you are and how you see their engagement because they dig their heels in and they go we're going to come out of this bigger and stronger and better than before and that's made me really proud that I've sat back and gone I love my team and I and I genuinely love how passionate we all are about making this great I think it's really cheesy no, I love it. I love that answer. I've never, I never think stuff like that's cheesy. I, I think there needs to be more of stuff like that. Um, Good. I think it's testament to your, you know, your longevity is testament to your success. But something you said right at the start about wanting to do things with integrity at the at its core. How, how does that manifest? What does that mean in terms of how you operate and how your teams operate for Red? So you've got to remember our, our product is a is a person um, and that brings with it a, a great weight um, of responsibility. So we've got to give the best customer service. If you're working in recruitment, I don't care who you work for, you've got to give an amazing customer service to your client, your client being the recruiting center in our situation. But actually the hardest part for a recruiter is remembering your product thinks for itself, behaves how it wants. If you sell bananas, they turn up to the shop you sell them to. If you sell people, that doesn't always happen. (laughs) But the natural reaction of a, when you're a salesperson as recruiters are, and your product doesn't turn up is you get 
upset by that. And you can't in recruitment because as we'll talk to our teams about all the time, actually you've got to remember these are people and deciding on what job you do is a massive life choice. So for goodness sake, you know, let's treat these people with respect and give them a great journey, but find them a job that's right for them. So for me, doing recruitment with integrity isn't just about actually when I tell a client I'll do something, I do it, as I've said, and I'll always do what I say I do. For me, it's more about how we treat our people and our candidates and whether that's designing the best recruitment journey and contact centers, or if that's just having the respect to go, no, I don't mind that you didn't turn up for that interview. Of course, it's important that your dog's ill. I get that. You're a human being. Um, But unfortunately, after 25 years, you've had a lot of dogs that have been ill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that kind of of leads me on to another question then around um, if if you're in a position where you're looking for work, and you've been affected this year or um, how, from your point of view, what, what does good candidacy look like? How do I make myself the best possible candidate? And I think not just to end up where you want to be, but also just in how I interact with, with you. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll swivel that on its head in a, uh, in a little while, but in terms of how you interact with, with a recruiter it's about just building that relationship and being open and honest we are people we are we're wanting to build relationships the best recruiters will know their candidates really well so they can sell and talk to the client about that candidate with with reality and so actually you know let's tell the whole story of your cv and let's find out a bit about you in contact centers it's really um recruitment is a bit different because what really bugs me after this amount of time is those recruiters internal and external and um, you know I don't ever want to talk badly of our industry because it's a great industry whoever you work for but you can't be a candidate and walk in and go I've worked in a contact center before and you the recruiter goes brilliant I've got a contact center job you'll be perfect for it because every contact as you know better than I do every contact center job is so different and we've got to look at behaviors and culture and call type and and occupancy and stress and all the rest of it So for us, it's about actually, we've really got to get to know you as a person. What floats your boat? You know, what are your internal morals and ethics? And and what type of customer will you be good talking to? Not just you've worked in a contact center, great, go to this job. So there's a bit about that. In terms of um, how, uh, what makes a good candidate almost, I put a plea out here really and flip that on its head and say, if you're a recruiting contact center and you're a leader in a contact center and you're recruiting, Actually, what doesn't make a good good candidate is a CV. And CVs, the sooner CVs are dead, the better, in my opinion, because the best CVs make the worst candidates and the worst CVs make the best candidates at agent level. With, you know, and we say it all the time. And contact centre agents are so terrible at writing their CVs. They've generally been written by either mum or dad or someone at school or... And and actually, they, you know, they're just terrible. Um, And the way to recruit a contact centre agent is actually just to do a a brief video call with them instead of a CV or a telephone call. And that would tell you 50 times more than any CV will and then put them into the recruitment process. Um, And while I'm on that, flipping it on its head, rather than me telling you what makes a good candidate a good candidate. I'd rather say if I'm a recruiting centre, how can I tell if they're a good candidate? Please don't. If you're recruiting 
turn people away because they're job hoppy. Because by nature of a Gen Z, one of their natural characteristics is to be job hoppy and millennials. And that doesn't make them bad. And a, a brief anecdote on that. My, my son's just, have, just started his A-levels, so he's just 16. And he's been desperate to work, really desperate just to earn some money because I'm stingy. So um, he got himself a job in a fishing shop because that's his love, fishing. And he starts to earn some money. And, and he, I had a conversation with him on the way to school one morning. And he said, would I put that on my CV, mum? And I thought, I'd want you to put it on your CV because it shows you've got work ethic and you're willing to dig in and earn some money. But I bet you, because you've only worked there for six months in your summer holiday of your A-levels, you'd be, t- you'd be called job hoppy. Mm. Well, to me, that's just mad. Yeah. And actually, we want people with a work ethic who'll dig in because they're earning money when they need to. And then when they come out and make their career, then we'll secure their longevity. And it's up to us as centres with great development, great PDPs, great, you know, agent, professional agent steps to really retain them. But let's not like, discard people. I love that job because it, it plays into like fast, lazy thinking. Because if you, if you get people together and you're looking through CVs, I used to hate those types of comments people going no going why is this in the no pile yeah uh they've had lots of different places in a in a short period of time that i think that's lazy thinking uh, uh, yeah and it will really it's it's lazy thinking and it's also really short-sighted because certainly in covid you've got to remember the market swung towards temporary while while there's insecurity so we're going to see much more of that so coming into next year, if, if people are disregarding candidates because they're job poppy or had short tenures, that's mad because they're naturally going to have that during this period. Um, so I'd make a plea to people to see beyond the job hoppiness and see the fact that people are wanting to work. And I'd much rather that than someone who sits at home until they get the job of their dreams, which often doesn't come about. Do you think it's going to be more and more? Most I think back to most of my teams, especially when I ran sales teams most well the best performers were part-time just thinking about the kind of job hoppy more and more people are doing they might do part of this part of that do some self-employed stuff part-time here part-time there and again it just challenges that kind of the thinking that oh I like that you've been here five years and then you did this and then you did that it's a bit more of a patchwork quilt yeah, and, and we've got to remember that going forwards, I know I'm really boring, by the way. I talk about generations and I love it, but I know other people find it really boring, so I apologise. But the generational <laughs> stuff and, and Gen Zs, next year, by the end of next year, it's predicted 70% of contact centres will be Gen Zs who are 23 and under right now. Wow. So it's, a, it's a massive part of our industry. But what do Gen Zs, uh, you know, my, as I allude to, I've got older teenage children and they're just at the cusp of Gen Z but you know they are not about I'm going to go into the office and do a job they're about I'm going to go into the office and do the job but on the side I've got an Instagram business I've got a you whatever they do and there was a really interesting piece of research last year um and I can't remember who did it so I've I've my memory's terrible I, I presented on some generational stuff last um beginning of this year 
And 50, if my memory, it was over 50%, so like 53% of Gen Z candidates and contact centres now run their own businesses on the side. And I was thinking, that can't be. And I went into one of our offices, I went over to our Cardiff office, and I said to the team, what do we think about this? And four of them went, well, I've got my own business. I was like, what? One of them is selling, you know, selling mirrors through eBay. One of them is doing an Instagram blog thing. And I'm thinking, I'm just so old. (laughs) <laughs> so we, yeah. I, I'm not nece- I don't think we'll necessarily see this patchwork quilt of our work at, you know, Virgin in the day and, and BT in the evening. But I th- think we will absolutely see that this generation will be running their office jobs and then they'll have other things going on on the side as well. We've we, we got to just live with that. I love it. I love that, though. My, we, we have children of the similar and So my son's um, 18. And is actually now, well, right now, will be answering answering calls. Yes, yeah. he's, he's doing it before um, traveling and things like that. Yeah, yeah, get on him. But same same sort of thing, really. It's one of a few things that he's that he's up to. Yeah, and they all want to be self-made. You know, they want to be like their big Instagram heroes, don't they? Which makes me want to cry a little bit. But but we talk about it like that, and you will not believe, and I'm sure many people listening will relate to it, the amount of senior leadership teams who'll say, don't want anyone with second jobs. I mean, some contracts still that agents get, it will say you cannot have a second job. I mean, that is going back to the early 2000s. It was very common in contracts before. That just can't be going forward. It would rule the majority of Gen Z candidates out. So, Like a kind of entrepreneurial mentality and wanting to, wanting to, cut your own path what would be your advice what what's seen you because you would be someone that people would look up to you're a business owner you did it yourself you started I've seen you wince then <laughs> what what are your kind of if you had a do you do mentoring what would be your kind of lessons learned or personal mantras that you would say the you've got integrity um you know it's really difficult isn't it because as we get older and I'm in my mid-40s but as you get older you feel that you're getting more out of touch with how the young people are thinking but we deal with them every single day so the biggest advice that we have and, and we try to give to the candidates is you are not going to find your perfect job no matter how much your school has told you for, that you're going to be prime minister or your mum's told you to reach for the stars You are not going to walk out of school and get your perfect job. What you will get is a job that gives you the foot or the step into something that you really enjoy doing. And and your stories really, I mean, stories don't change, do they? So many of us fall into jobs. So we will say, and I will say it to my children, and I do lots of talking at schools and so on, is, do you know what? Go in with a good business ethic, go in with a great work ethic and you can't fail. Mm-hmm. You know, be on time, you know, be smart, you know, do what you're told to do and do it really well and just cut your own, you know, cut your own path for those first year or so. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to walk out and suddenly get your best job because certainly now in this economy, I mean, i I worry so much for the the kids coming out of university and A levels at the moment. It's just horrendous at the moment, isn't it? But so just do work for a brand that inspires you, 
and work really hard and just have the basic behaviors and you will do great. Um, and so, you know, that would be my biggest advice, really. I love that, though, that kind of because those are the things you see those the, some of the quotes, don't you, around um, things you can always guarantee. Oh, yeah. You know, and that, I, I hate those as well. And I've just sounded just like it. I love it. Though, because you're, it's based in it's based in reality, though, isn't it? It's based on your on your journey and, and what you what you, you share it and you have you're credible because of what you've done. And I I love that. Just something you said about CVs. Um, do you see a time when they just won't be needed? Won't, they just won't all cease to exist? And I think it. Uh... I think it's wishful thinking. Everyone hates doing a CV, don't we? I don't know if when you last look for a job, senior candidates are the worst, by the way. <laughs> Anyone listening to this looking for a, for a job, CVs of senior candidates are terrible because everyone hates telling everyone how brilliant they are. So you've got to leave your British modesty at the door and write a great CV. Um, it's wishful thinking to think they, they won't exist anymore, but my hope will be in the next few years that will move to video applications. And many really forward-thinking organisations are doing that. There's lots of centres doing that now. Don't, don't send a CV, send a 30-second send a video clip on why you want this job. And I promise you, one, the candidate will much more enjoy that. You've, you show me a Gen Z candidate is happy sitting down and writing CV and I'll faint. They just don't like doing it. Yeah. They're not used to writing, particularly. They'd much and, rather do a video, which they're used to yeah. doing on snapchat yeah if you exactly. say if you open up your recruitment and say send me a 30 second to one minute video don't do it longer than that because your team leaders won't want to watch them neither will your recruitment you've made your decision in your first 30 seconds why you why you want this job and why you think you're good for it you'll get better candidates applying you'll get a better feel for whether you want to interview them and then let the interview process do a brilliant job of finding the great ones i love that I love that. What's next for you then when you look for, uh, and this is a time of reflection, I guess, isn't it? Coming to the end of the year, start of a new year. What What is happening? What's next for Red Recruitment and you? Um, so we, oh, I stumble because I'd, I'd love to say something really impressive, like, well, we're going to go fairly virtual, but we did that. <laughs> virtual for us has been in, in since 2017 because that's what candidates wanted. Candidates don't want to come in and physically meet people. They want to do everything by video. So we haven't ha- actually had to, there's not a great deal to do to change our operating models. And we went from the vanity of we've got offices here, there and everywhere and went to the sanity of actually let's centralise and, and, and go for the digital model, which, as I say, has been in. So we've not got work to do there. For us, um, as I'm sure, and I know from doing the research I've done, this is the case. So many of us have had the opportunity to go, right, let's look at every part of our process with a laser sharp focus. And we put a spotlight on every single part of our process. And there was so much that needed improving and so much complacency that had come in. And I'm not embarrassed to say that because I think a lot of us were in that situation. And COVID has allowed us to go, how do we make ourselves even more brilliant to come out of it. So our big piece of work, obviously we've got Brexit coming, so we've got some work to do in terms of eligibilities and all of that that we've got hitting us in recruitment. But our big piece of work is to make sure that every single part of our process and candidate and client journey from the very start of the very first advert or job being registered to eight weeks after that candidate's been in is made exceptional for 2021. Um, and there's loads of learnings there. So a busy year ahead. 
with a bit of legislation because of government changes thrown in, which would be a joy. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's not get on to Brexit. <laughs> no, no, let's not. Well, uh, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. It has been illuminating. And um, I actually think I, I love what you've spoken about and um, your passion for the industry and what you give back. And um, absolutely, I think for, if there are still pockets of people that don't go to that kind of lazy thinking about um, recruitment or contact centres, they just need to spend some time with you. Oh, um, well, nice of you to say. I hope my clients would agree. <laughs> <laughs> No comments necessary. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. It's been a much. pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Martin. Thanks. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that. Some really interesting thoughts there on recruitment. Please do contact Katie to find out more about that and also the research that she did. Um, as always, thanks for listening. And if you can, please do take a moment to have a look at the link that I'm sharing for the charity work supporting Naomi House and Jack's Place, which is a fantastic charity that helps life-limited um, children and their families. They really do need all the support they can get to provide this lovely service. Um, so thanks very much and stay safe. See you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com local today.